So a couple of years back, I found myself in a, uh, a time in my life where I felt hopeless. And uh, I wrote this song called Going Under that I want to share with you guys this morning during offering. If you're feeling like you've uh, lost hope somewhere along the way, it's my prayer that this song gives you hope. It reminds you of the hope that we have in Jesus. Have you given up hope? Have you lost your way? You don't know where to go. You don't know where to go. Are you lost at sea? As the tide takes you further than the eye can see, you're never further than I can see.
So this is Jeremiah chapter 32, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to jump to verses 6 through 15. So if you want to follow along, it'll be on the screens, and then uh, you can follow along your phone or your Bible also. Jeremiah received the word, the Lord's word in the tenth year of Judah's king Zedekiah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. At that time, the army of the Babylonian king had surrounded Jerusalem. So, if, unless you're a history buff, like the names of the kings who were in charge is not that big of a deal. This is the big. This is one of the important parts. At that time, the army of the Babylonian king had surrounded Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined to the prison quarters in the palace of Judah's king. Why was Jeremiah in prison? Because he told the truth. He told the truth to Jerusalem and to Judah about the things that they were doing and what it would lead to. And what they were doing was essentially they were stepping on the backs and the necks of people who were lower than them in class and rank to raise themselves up. And he told them the truth and he was saying, this is what you're doing. God is seeing it. You have got to stop doing that. If you don't stop doing that, it is not going to be good for you. You're going to end up being attacked by Babylon, and they're going to come and take us away. Like, you've got to stop doing this. And he made a whole lot of people mad, and he was in prison. And while he was in prison, the Babylonians came. Verse 6, Jeremiah said, The Lord's word came to me. Your cousin Hanamel, Shalom's son, is on his way to see you. And when he arrives, he will tell you, buy my field in Anathoth, for by law you are next in line to purchase it. And just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel showed up at the prison quarters and told me, buy my field in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for you are next in line and have a family obligation to purchase it. Then I was sure this was the Lord's doing. So I bought the field in Ananoth from my cousin Hananoth and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. Then I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy with its terms and conditions, and the unsealed copy, and gave it to Baruch, Neriah's son, and Mahaziah's grandson before my cousin Hanamel and the witnesses named in the deed, as well as before all the Judeans who were present in the prison quarters. I charged Baruch before all of them, the Lord of heavenly forces, 
the God of Israel, proclaims, Take these documents, this sealed deed of purchase, along with the unsealed one, and put them into a clay container so they will last a long time. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims, Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. Jeremiah is in prison, and his cousin is coming to see him. His cousin was named, named Hanamel, and he was from, he had a field in a place called Anathoth. Now, the reason we need to know that he was selling him a field in a place called Anathoth is that Anathoth is where the prophet was from. And he couldn't go back. And the reason Jeremiah couldn't go back to Anathoth, Anathoth is because they had told him, if you come back, we will kill you. They were not wanting to hear the truth. They were wanting to continue in their ways without anybody pointing it out to them. And they said, if you come back, we will kill you. And so his cousin comes to him and says, listen, Jeremiah, I'm in trouble. I can't keep the field that our family has owned forever. You're the next in line. You have to be what in biblical terms is called the kinsman redeemer. And this is important because when property was owned by a family, it was always owned by that family. It was passed down generation after generation after generation. And when the person who was in charge of whatever the property may be, the house, the land, the cattle, whatever it was, was losing it, when they couldn't hold on to it anymore for whatever reason, then it went to the kinsman redeemer, and that kinsman came in and purchased it from whoever was coming to take it. Imagine a kinsman redeemer being like you've had this house in your family for generations, and for some reason you can't pay the taxes on it, and you're about to lose it to the government, and the kinsman redeemer is the person who comes in and pays the taxes so that your family gets to keep that land or that house or whatever it is forever. That's the general idea, but it went with everything. The property that was held in trust essentially by the kinsman was every piece of property that the family owned. Jesus <coughs> is called the kinsman redeemer. We are part of the household of God. And within the household of God, we have rights and we have privileges and we are blessed and we are given all sorts of gifts and all that is asked is that we return some of it back out to the world and be the city on the hill. To be the bearers of hope and good news to the world who is in so desperate need of good news and hope. But sometimes we walk out of the household and we lose our way. We get enraptured and captured by other things. And Jesus is the kinsman redeemer who comes along and purchases us, purchases us, purchases us back and brings us into the household of God to never be lost again. That's the story of Jesus and the gospel and how it relates to this passage. But I want us to think about Jeremiah for a moment. He was called to be a prophet. And as all prophets do, he resisted a little bit and then gave in 
and he started prophesying. And the reason people don't ever want to be prophets, you know it, because you've probably been called into a place of prophecy before. You're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's just going to cause way too much drama in my life. I kind of want people to like me. I kind of want to keep my job. And so I'm just going to kind of let all that stuff pass. But prophets can't keep their mouths shut about good and bad things that are happening to other people. So Jeremiah's heart is broken. He recognizes that his kin, his friends, and his family, and the, probably his cousin, are out there on their own doing their own thing, and God is seeing it and saying, you're going to lose it, you're going to lose it all, everything's gone. And Jeremiah is probably hopeless. He's not called the weeping prophet because he's a joyful guy. He's the weeping prophet because his heart breaks for what he sees happening all around him. And then hope comes. And I don't even know if Jeremiah realizes that what he's doing is being filled with hope and also offering hope. He just does what he's supposed to do, purchase this land. But listen to what he did that's so interesting. He says, so I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hananah. And I weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. So somehow there's a little bit of freedom in this prison he's in. He's got 17 shekels. They're weighing it out. They make the exchange. And he says, I signed the deed, sealed it, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. So everything's being done in a very legal and documented way. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy with its terms and conditions, and the unsealed copy. So there was one that was rolled up and sealed with wax or something, and then there was another one that anybody could read so that they could see the terms and conditions, and both of them were signed by witnesses. So the witnesses were saying, yes, what is in this unsealed copy is the same thing that is in the sealed copy, so there's no reason to break the seal on the sealed copy. You can just read this one and see what's in there. We're, we promise on our life that what we're signing is actually in there also. So he gives the deed of purchase to Baruch. And he does this before Hanamel and the witnesses who are named in the deed. And he does it also before the Judeans who are present in the prison quarters. And then listen to what he says. I charged Baruch before all of them. And this is the charge that he gave to Baruch. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel proclaims, take these documents, the sealed deed of purchase along with the unsealed one, and put them into a clay container so that they will last a long time. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls, these scrolls that were thousands and thousands of years old, in clay pots in a cave. This was a typical thing. If they wanted a document to last for a long time, they would roll it up, they would seal it, they would put it in a clay pot. They would put the clay pot with a lid on it and a heavy lid, and they would put it in a dark, cool place, and the document would stay apparently for thousands of years, we're finding out. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel proclaims, houses, Fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. It's falling apart. Everything is falling apart around 
Jeremiah, and everything is falling apart around the Judeans. Their town, their, their capital is falling, literally falling. They're being captured and taken to Babylon to be put into exile. That everything is falling apart. They're losing their land. Their, their farms are being taken from them. Their cattle is being taken from them. It is falling apart. Do you know that feeling? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where it just is falling apart? Everything that you're planning is failing. Your relationships are failing. You're losing your job. You can't get the grades that you want. Just nothing is working. You go to the doctor. You hear a diagnosis that nobody ever wants to hear. Your heart is breaking. God says houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. It was going to be restored. A new normal will be found. Carry on. There are two kinds of us in the room today. There are those of us who have a lot of joy in our souls and our spirits and we're walking around with a ridiculous amount of hope. We can believe that things are going well and things are getting better. And then there are those of us who are broken, who are grieving, who things are just falling apart all around us. Our job is to be the clay pots that hold the truth of what's coming for a long time. And not just to hold it, but to feed it. So I want to say to those of you who are here that kind of got it all together for now, the operative words for now. If you got it all together right now and things are kind of clicking along and you're doing pretty good, you know, like average to above average, your job is to share that hope. To be the person who shines light into the darkness. And your job is to make sure that you're taking care of your soul so that you can go and help our friends and neighbors and sisters and brothers along who are struggling. I guarantee you, Jeremiah wasn't the only one. I'll bet you there were all kinds of people in Judah and in Jerusalem who were trying to get people to wake up, trying to get people to see what was really happening. And they were probably feeling hopeless also. And they were probably paying attention to Jeremiah. And when they heard what Jeremiah was doing, they probably stood up with pride and possibly went and purchased land themselves and invested <coughs> into the future. Wendell Berry, my favorite poet, says, you sh we should always do things that don't add up and don't make sense. Like, number one, practice resurrection. But he also says, you should plant sequoias and wait for the harvest. Invest in the future. What we do here at this place, it's not for us. I mean, it's for us because we need to come and have our souls restored. But we do that because we know this isn't for or about us. It's about our great-grandchildren's great-grandchildren. 
We're planting sequoias today. And we'll never see the harvest, but we know it's going to happen. There is a real reason to have hope. We have this kinsman redeemer who has purchased us back. We no longer walk in slavery, but we walk in freedom. And we walk in freedom, and sometimes it feels like we're bound up a little bit, and that's okay because some of us aren't bound up, and we, we can help break the chains. And then when you're feeling free, you can go and help break the chains of someone else, and this thing just keeps going and going. And imagine if there was a society of people, a fellowship of people, who they were the chain breakers for one another. Don't you think that society would be joined, and before long, the whole world is full of hope? I know, I know, like, rose-colored glasses, Pollyanna, all that kind of stuff. But that's who I am. I honest to goodness believe it's getting better. And I believe that in the name of the Father, 